Okay, well, we are, we are moving right along as we continue our journey here in the book of James. We're getting towards the end of chapter 2. And uh, if you're just joining us or if it's been a while since you've been here, again, we're in the, a sermon series entitled Putting Feet to Our Faith. And the reason why we're, we've used this title is because I believe the book of James is the most practical book in the New Testament for Christian living. If you're ever confused about what God's called you to do or God's called you to be, the book of James is happy to completely give us the answer that we're looking for. He just lays it out there in plain language for our understanding. In fact, I always say he puts the cookies on the bottom shelf, and that's where I like the cookies, where I can reach them. So we're going to be walking through James chapter 2, verses 8 through 13 today, and the title of our message today is Living by a Law of Love. Living by a law of love. And while we prepare our hearts and our minds for this, as you turn to chapter 2 in your Bibles, as always, I want to give you something to think about. Okay? Here's your question for the day. Something to think about. What is the worst law you've ever broken? Okay? What's the worst law you've ever broken? I say that uh, as a tacit assumption that everybody in this room has broken a law. Okay? We all have. Some of these laws are a little bit worse than others. All right? I know that everyone in this room at some point in your life has probably gone over the speed limit. Okay? How dare any of these people in this room cut the tag off your mattress? Okay? But that's breaking the law if you've done it. Or how about in the late 80s and early 90s when we all ignored that FBI warning and recorded TV shows on our VHS tapes? I've got still quite a few sitting in my library somewhere, but I don't even have a VHS uh, recorder to watch them on anymore. In fact, those are the common laws that we break, but did you know that there are crazy laws here in the state of Georgia? I know we've got a few lawyers in the house today that know some of these crazy laws. When I was working for Pineland Telephone and I hosted a TV show called Around These Parts, I uh, had a, a segment of the show called Crazy Georgia Laws, and here are three crazy ones. There's actually a law in the state of Georgia that says donkeys cannot be kept in bathtubs. All right, there's another law that says no one is permitted to carry an ice cream cone in their back pocket on Sundays. And then also there's one that says goldfish cannot be used to entice anyone to play a game of bingo. These are all legitimate laws in the state of Georgia. All right, so there's common laws that we break. There's crazy laws that at some points that (laughs) have been broken. But then there's laws that we break and we don't even know that we're breaking them. I'll give you a perfect example. So back in, this would have been 2001, I was getting towards the end of my college career at Georgia Southern, and every year some of my buddies and I would put our money together and get a cabin at Magnolia Springs. And one year we got a cabin and we all decided to go fishing. Well, a city boy from Philadelphia, Joel, I don't know if you know this, but having grown up in Delaware County, I, I never understood the concept of fishing without a license. And so I'm here in a local state park. I drop a line in the water. Two minutes later, the park ranger comes up, and he asks for my license, and I pull out my driver's license. (laughs) Now, that was wrong for two reasons. Number one, because it was not a fishing license. Number two, because it was a Pennsylvania license. And this gentleman whose last name was Lee was very happy to give me a crash course on the Civil War. And then when he told me that I was on the wrong side of the Mason-Dixon line, he handed me a $90 fine for what would have been, what, a $10 fishing license. So that was a day I was not happy to be a lawbreaker, even though I did not know I was breaking the law. However, there are laws that are a little bit more serious. As we open up chapter 2 of the book of James, we're going to be deciding and, and determining, according to God's Word, the laws that God has called us to live by here today. And I think that can all be summed up today. And it's not a cheap word. 
And it's not an easy word. When we talk about law that we live under today as believers in Jesus Christ, we live under a law of love. We live under a law of love, and this is something that does not erase the law. It exalts it to its highest possible measure. All right? What's, so what's the big idea? What's the big idea? What do I want us to get as we open up James chapter 2 and look at verses 8 through 13? In one sentence, here's the big idea I want us to get. As Christians, we live under a law of love, and to obey this law, we must love all our neighbors as ourselves. And you may think that's cheap and easy. You may think that's a law that just makes us feel good. It's just one of those feel-good statements in the, in the New Testament. But it, it, it goes a lot deeper, and it calls us to a greater commitment than maybe any of us have ever thought of before. And we're going to talk about that commitment here this morning. So if you have a Bible, again, please turn with me to the book of James, chapter 2. If you don't, grab the Pew Bible in front of you. We'll be on page 1200 exactly in your Pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time, out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word, we're in James, chapter 2, and we will be in verses 8 through 13. So hear the word of the Lord starting in verse 8 of James 2. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, again, we love you. And we thank you that through the blood of your Son that we don't have legal requirements of these Old Testament laws that we're going to talk about here in a moment, but that you've elevated the morality of these laws to living under a law of love. And it's not an easy law to obey. We need your Holy Spirit to help us to love others the way that you do, Father. So I pray that you'd be with us at this time. Open up our hearts and minds to receive the truth of this word and to respond to it in repentance, faith, and in the love that you showed us on the cross. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. And we offer these words in Jesus' name as God's people say, amen. Please be seated. So as we consider this idea this morning, a law of love, again, I just, as soon as the words come off my tongue, I feel like I'm talking about something that is just some feel-good idea, all right? Because I think in America in 2017, we've cheapened this idea of love. I call it Valentine's Day understanding of love. It's the conversation hearts and the Hallmark cards and and the hugs and the handshakes. What I'm talking about is not a feel-good. It's a commitment to do for others better than you would do for yourself. This is a commitment we're called to as Christians, and it is not easy at all. This law of love is a deep and abiding and lifetime commitment that we're supposed to make. So I think the best thing we can do to start off our journey here this morning is to define it. So number one, I want to let us define a law of love. All right, as we define a law of love, we need to look at verses 8 through 9. Verses 8 through 9 say this, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So 
Before I talk about what it means to have a law of love, i got to go all the way back to the Old Testament and talk about the purpose of law in the life of a person of God. Okay, so let me start all the way back with the book of Exodus. All right, God, who loved us so much, wanted to bring a Messiah into the world to redeem us from our sins. He makes that first promise in Genesis 3.15. We move on to the book of Exodus. The way God decides to do that is to call a holy nation unto himself. It's not that God's playing favorites that we talked about last week. God is calling a nation to be separate and holy and distinct from the rest of the world so when that world would see this nation, they would know that a God exists and they would give their life to that one true God and eventually God would bring his Messiah through that holy nation. So for God to establish this holy nation, he had to give them a holy law. And most of us know how this all started as Moses led the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt into the land of the wilderness before they get into the land of the milk and honey. All right, Moses is called up on Mount Sinai. He dialogues with God and he comes down several times with two stone tablets and on those tablets are the Ten Commandments. And God, with those first Ten Commandments, establishes this law. Now here's a very important distinction to make. God has never and will never expect us to be saved according to our obedience to the law. The people of Israel were not saved by the law. They couldn't be because none of them could keep it. The law was to show the holy standards of God. The law was to set aside Israel as holy and separate from the rest of the world. And the law was also shown to be a mirror that as Israel could not keep that law, they know they needed a Savior to keep it for them, and that pointed to Jesus Christ. Now here's the question we have to ask ourselves. We're on the other side of that cross. We live in the New Testament after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, And the Bible says that we don't live under the law. So what happens to all those laws of the Old Testament? What about the Ten Commandments? Do we live under those commandments today? Or do we not live under any law whatsoever and there's no legal restrictions and we just toss out the Ten Commandments and we toss everything out and we just live the way that we want to live because we live under grace? That's not exactly the way it is. So we need to make some important distinctions about the law so we can understand what God holds us accountable for as Christians in 2017. So here's some really important distinctions about the law that God handed down through Moses to the people of Israel. After those Ten Commandments, there were more laws that were added. If you read the end of Exodus and then you get into Leviticus, you see a lot of laws that God's handing down. So how do they apply to us? Well, here's what happened. When God handed down the law, scholars think that there are three different types of law. And we need to know what these three types are, okay? There's civil law. There's ceremonial law. And for the note-takers, don't worry, I'm going to go through all this again. Civil law, ceremonial law, and moral law, okay? So let me give you an example of each one. Civil law was laws given specifically to govern Jewish culture, okay? So these don't apply to us today. This is uh, laws that for restitution for a man who was gored by an ox, all right? If you had an ox and he got loose and he gored another man, you had to make restitution for that. And there was a specific law on how you could do that, all right? Those are civil laws, Another civil law would be if you dug a pit and your neighbor's donkey got stuck in the pit, you'd have a very specific responsibility to either get the donkey out or pay restitution for the donkey. All right, we don't have too many of those problems here today. I've never been gored by an ox, and there's no donkey that's going to get trapped in my backyard. All right, so those are civil laws that we don't live under today. Okay, now what about ceremonial laws? 
All right, in the Old Testament, we see customs of this Jewish culture. And these customs include sacrifices, festivals, and special dietary and clothing restrictions that were specific to the nation of Israel. All right, and those legal restrictions no longer apply to us as well because when Jesus died, he fulfilled those laws, both civil and ceremonial. But then the third type of law is moral. And this is where we got to pay attention. All right, the moral law are laws of justice, respect, and conduct, and they're most symbolized in the Ten Commandments. Now, when Jesus Christ died, Jesus had to live perfectly for 33 years. He never had a sinful thought. He never spoke a sinful word. He never had a sinful deed. So when Jesus died, he was the final Passover lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was the final sacrifice. Before Jesus, they had to keep killing lamb after lamb after lamb and all these animals for all the forgiveness of our sins because we kept sinning. Well, Jesus was worthy as the final Passover lamb of God that his sacrifice was great enough that anybody that places their faith in Jesus has their sins forgiven past, present, and future through the blood that he shed on the cross. So there's no more need to sacrifice animals. And the one thing that Jesus did before he died, he did not abolish the law. He fulfilled it. He kept every restriction that was handed down by God, and he did it without sinning so that when we place our faith in him, we too are seen by God as having fulfilled the law. But even though we no, lo- lo- no longer live under the civil and the ceremonial and the moral laws that were handed down, the Bible says in the New Testament we live under a new law, and that's called the law of Christ. The law of Christ. And it's, it's mentioned several times in the New Testament in different ways. In Galatians, it's called the law of Christ. In this passage, it's called the royal law or the law of justice. Or I think at the end of the passage there, it mentions that um, in, at the very end in verse number 13, it says that it is the law of mercy. I'm sorry, the, the law of liberty. Under the ESV translation, it's the law of liberty. So it's called the law of Christ, the, law, the royal law, the law of liberty. And I'm summing all that up this morning by saying law of love. We live under the law of Christ, which is a law of love. But what does that mean? Jesus, when he fulfilled the law, he didn't abolish it. He called you to the deeper moral meaning of what the law was originally intended for. And here's my example. When Jesus comes on the scene in the New Testament and the Gospels, what does he do? When they say, thou shalt not commit adultery, he says, not only should you physically not cheat on your spouse, but if you've had a lustful thought in your mind about another person, you've already committed it in your heart. So Jesus doesn't abolish the law. He fulfills it, but then he elevates the moral standards of it and says, as Christians, you're not saved by keeping the law, but if you are a Christian, you're going to live such a high moral standard that the rest of the world is going to look at you and think of me. That's the law of love. He said the whole law, we're going to see this in a minute, the whole law can be summed up in two, two phrases. Love God, love others. But here's the thing. If you love God and love others, you're going to fulfill the requirements of the Ten Commandments. You're going to honor thy father and thy mother. You're not going to commit adultery. You're not going to covet. You are going to honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So we don't live under the legal restrictions. Our salvation is not based upon how faithful we are to the law. But as Christians, we're marked by this law of love, and it's not easy. Gosh, it's not easy to love others the way we're called to love God and to love ourselves. It's not easy. But we'll walk through this together and see what God expects of us as we consider this law. 
How did this all start? Well, in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. This is one of the first tastes we get of this in the New Testament. In this passage, it says the Pharisees are questioning Jesus. They're saying, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus is saying, if you're a believer, if you want to follow me, do two things. Love God and love others the way you love yourself. And while that sounds easy and that sounds like something that could be on a Hallmark card or a conversation heart on Valentine's Day, this calls us to a greater commitment than any other faith. Because that word love in the Greek, one of the ways that we define that love is agape. And agape is this this committed sacrificial love where it hurts. It's sacrificial for you to love others the way God loves others. Because sometimes people are just downright unlovable. But so are we in the eyes of a holy God. But so are we. To obey this law of Christ is to love the way that God loves. To way that God loves. And we, as we, before we move on to point two, last week the whole passage, if you weren't here, was about favoritism. If somebody walks through the doors of this church by the, by the color of their skin or the clothes that they're wearing or what job they have, if you treat them any differently than you treat anybody else, you're playing favoritism. And there's no place for that in the kingdom of God. And what this passage is, is a conclusion of last week. And what it's saying is, if you play favorites, then you've already broken the law of love. And if you don't want to live by the law of love, Jesus is saying, you can go back to the old standard way of living and try to live by that law. And you'll be guilty every time because there's no mercy in that law. The mercy is under Jesus Christ who has fulfilled the law and elevated it to a law of love. So that's defining a law of love. Let's move on to number two and look at violating a law of love. So we've seen what it's defined. Now, how do we violate it? All right, verses 10 through 11 say this. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor transgressor of the law. One thing I want to say about this passage that I just read is this. God does not judge. He does not grade our report cards on a curve. It is a pass-fail scenario. God doesn't give you extra bonus points. He doesn't give you brownie points if you're really good in this area, but you fall short in this area. What this passage is saying is this. If you are a great Christian and you read the Word of God and you're in prayer and and you're faithfully following God and you're doing this, 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 and this, but yet you constantly show favoritism to other people, you're constantly judging other people, it doesn't matter how good you are over here, you've still broken the law over here. Because people didn't look at favoritism as a big deal. And I think in our churches today, we probably don't see it as a big deal. I've never killed anybody. I've never stolen anything. I've never gone to jail. I've never had a big drug addiction. I've never done this or done that. But yeah, when someone comes in on Sunday morning, if I'm not showing the love for them that I show with those that I don't know, then guess what? I'm as guilty as those who did those other things. That's how serious the law is. When you stand before God, you're not going to get an A, B, C, D, or F. You're going to get a pass or a fail. All right? Because you either have to be holy and perfect in the kingdom, or, or, or if you're not holy and perfect, you can't be in the kingdom. And because none of us are holy and perfect, we need to be saved by one who was. 
We need to be saved by one who was. When, when we put our faith in Jesus, this is so important. When we put our faith in Jesus, spiritually speaking, God sees us as he sees his son covered in the blood of Jesus. God says, you're perfect and you're perfect and you're perfect. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done. But Jesus is saying, since I've done this for you, since I've died for you, now you live for me. And if you live for me, you got to love people the way I love them. And that is without any judgment or any bias, you love others more than you love yourself. That's the law of love. And we violate it all the time. Now, I want to make one caveat, okay? One caveat before we move on down the line here. It does say in this passage, if you fail in one point, you've become guilty of all the law. What that passage does not mean is that all sins are equal in terms of their severity. What it does mean is that all, even the smallest sin makes you a, a sinner. And if you're a sinner, you can't be with God unless you're forgiven. But that does not mean that saying a cuss word is equally as severe as killing another person. Because I've heard people say, well, your sin's no different than mine. Well, our sins are the same in that we're both guilty before God. Our sins are different in that when you die, if you've not been forgiven... You're going to be judged according to your transgressions. And the person who's guilty of being a sinner because they had a foul mouth is not going to be judged as harshly as someone who took somebody else's life. So I want to make that important distinction here. All sins make us guilty, but God is a good judge. Just like in heaven, there's going to be different levels of rewards for those who were faithful to God. Well, on the other side, in hell, there's going to be different levels of punishment based on the certain sins that were committed that were never forgiven. So I want to make that one important distinction before we move on, because I've often had that discussion with folks in this and other churches who say, well, I mean, your sin's no different than mine. It's not different in that it makes us guilty. It is different in that some sins are just a lot more severe than others. And I, th- I think if we look at the scriptures, we see that to be true. But let me just say this before we move on to our third and final point. Favoritism breaks this amazing law of love no matter how much you love everyone else. If there's one person you're not willing to love, Jesus is saying, until you can love them the way I do, you are breaking the law. And that's hard. It's easy to love the lovable. It's easy to love those who love you. It's really easy to do. It is so hard to desire for other people to be blessed who you do not love and maybe who you don't even like. And by the way, let me also make this distinction. God says that you have to love everyone. I don't think it necessarily means you have to really like everyone. But to love everyone, it means that you would treat them as good as you would want to be treated yourself. And again, last week we talked about this at great length. I'll just hit this high note for one minute. The world always will play favorites. Always. There are certain people who get jobs over others. There are certain people who own homes over others. There are certain people who have nicer material possessions than others. There's always going to be a higher class, middle class, lower class in every country in the world until Christ comes back. And because of that, when people are successful outside the church and then they come in the church, there are certain people who expect favoritism to be continued. They expect preferential treatment. And the, 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 the ground at the foot of the cross is level. We all come to God as sinners. We all come to God as sinners. So there can be no favorites, including whoever's standing behind the pulpit. Again, I said this last week. I'll say it again. If there ever comes a day that I open up this word and I speak to any of you thinking that I'm any more important to God than one person in this room, I do not deserve to stand behind this desk. And I know God has put that on my heart, and I pray he will never let me forget it. 
We said this morning in our prospective member class, we were reminding ourselves of the distinctions of being a Southern Baptist. Being a Southern Baptist, we believe in what's called the priesthood of all believers. In the Old Testament, you needed a priest to make your sacrifices for you. In the New Testament, Jesus is our high priest. And we're all covered in his blood as Christians, and so we're all seen as priests. And we're all on equal footing before God. And if, you don't, if we don't see it that way, if we see that we're better than anybody else, we're playing favorites, and we've violated the law of love, and Jesus says, if you want to break that law, you're welcome to go back to the Old Testament law and try to keep it yourself. You won't be able to do it. You won't be able to do it. So that's violating a law of love. And that moves us on to number three. So we've talked about defining a law of love, violating a law of love, but how, now how do we live by a law of love? Verses 12 through 13 say this, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Again, we can live under this law of liberty, Or, it says, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. If you don't want to be merciful to others, then God says, I'm not going to be merciful to you. You can go back to living under the Old Testament law, and when you die and stand before me, you're going to be a failure because those sins have not been forgiven because you won't love the way that I love. That's pretty heavy words. If we are saved by God's love, we have to live by God's love. I really believe this. The time that we show favoritism is the time that we forget how desperate we needed to be saved. I, you know, I think about this all the time as I'm, as I'm putting a message together. It's really hard as a pastor. One of the hardest things a pastor has to do is to feed the sheep who've been following Jesus for 50 years, but also put the cookies on the bottom shelf low enough for someone who's never read a Bible and maybe in the church for the first time that they could walk in and understand what you're talking about. That's not always easy to do, and sometimes I probably fail at that, all right? Pastors are gifted in different ways. Some pastors are really gifted at talking to the mature Christians and the new Christians all at one time, but here's, here's one thing I will say I intentionally do every week as I'm reading and praying and putting this message together. I'm thinking about the Christians who've been here 50 years, but I'm also thinking about the person walking through that door that has never been in church or someone who's coming to church for the first time or someone whose life is all messed up. And, they're, and, they're, and they're, they're, they're sinking. They're on a boat that's sinking. And they've come to church because they're lost. And they're saying, I don't know what to do. God, I'm crying out to you. Help me. Can I tell you something? That was me 10 years ago. I remember sneaking in the back of a church, crying during a sermon, just unbelievably broken before God. I was lost. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what I was doing. 10 years ago, I didn't know for sure if there was a God. And if I ever forget what it was like to desperately want to know God, and I ever treat a new believer or a seeker any differently than I treat someone who's been in this church 50 years, then I will be playing favorites, and I will be guilty of that law. My, my goal for us as a church is that when anybody walks through that door, no matter what their nationality is, no matter what their vocation is, no matter what their history is, no matter what their criminal record is, when they walk through that door, do they feel the love of Jesus Christ from everybody in this room? Because when we see them, it reminds us of us when we were saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's my prayer for the heart and the spirit of this church, that we would be people of grace and truth. And we don't waver from truth. All right, there are churches that are all grace and no truth, and they will love you and hug you and kiss you, but they'll never tell you to turn away from your sin and to follow Jesus. 
We want to love them. We want to offer them grace. And then we want to open up God's word and say, okay, God loves you. But if you want to receive his mercy and his forgiveness, there's a word called repent. And you need to turn away from this life. And you need to start following Jesus. I pray that we're a church of both grace and a a church of truth as well. I'll just say before we sum it all up here that one of my favorite passages in the Sermon on the Mount in the, in the Gospels, we see Jesus redefining the law. And one of the words that he says, and in, in, uh, we call it the Beatitudes, is blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. The very time in your life that you feel like you need mercy the most is the time that you need to go and show it to someone who you don't think deserves it. I'm, I'm not saying that's not a cute statement. I'm being totally true. I believe that there, there's just this, this way about the Christian life. In my, time, in my walk with the Lord, the times that I've struggled with finances the most are the times that I've been giving to others the most. Because as I give to others, I've seen God give back to me. And I say the same thing financially that I would say spiritually with mercy. When you're struggling to receive mercy and you feel like the world's against you, you know how you should respond to that as a Christian? By going out to those who don't know mercy and showing it to them anyway. When you love the unlovable... When you show mercy to those who you don't think deserve it, you're reflecting Christ who loved you and showed you mercy when you didn't deserve it as a sinner. That's the gospel, and that's how we reflect it, and that's what this is as a law of love. So that leads us to our conclusion. So how do we sum all this up? In one sentence, I would just say this. Pretty simple. The law of love is established by Christ, so if we follow him, we will love like him. How's the world going to know you're a Christian? You may show them your membership card at Cedar Street. You may show them your Bible that has your name inscribed on it in the front. You may show them your baptism, of, your certificate of baptism. You may show them all kinds of articles and documents. And, all, and you can show them anything you want. Jesus says, they'll know you because you love them like I love them. They, they, will, you, they will know that you follow me because the love that comes out of your mouth is the same love that comes out of mine. And none of us have it all down yet. None of us love the way Jesus loves. And so what does that do? It keeps us on our knees. We're on Sunday mornings when we have to confess to the Lord. We don't struggle to think about something to confess. We're aware, God, I fell short this week. I didn't love the way that you love. So I'm going to ask you to forgive me and help me to be better next week than I was this week. That's the Christian life. We show mercy, and then when we fall short, we receive mercy. And it happens over and over and over. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I don't know about you, but gosh, I need mercy in my life. My goodness, I need mercy. There's not a week that goes by that I don't either say, think, or do something where I'll sit in bed before I go to sleep and I'll go, what were you thinking today? Bo, you're an idiot. But in prayer, say, God, I am an idiot. But forgive me and help me. And then when I see other people acting like idiots, I show them mercy because God showed me mercy. That's how this Christian life works. All right? That's how this Christian life works. So what's our takeaway for today? Okay? Again, simple stuff. Our takeaway for today, remember to love the unlovable because that is what Jesus did for us as sinners. I want to draw to a close as we enter into a time of invitation. And I just want to take you back, for those who are Christian, to the day that you got saved to the day that you made a decision to put your your life in the hands of Jesus. Did you come to Jesus thinking that you were a good person and this was just something different to do, some, some different way to spend your Sunday mornings? Or did you come to Jesus admitting that you're a sinner and that without him, you would never have eternal life? 
In fact, I'm very careful about that at Vacation Bible School and all the things that we do with our kids. When kids say they want to follow Jesus, I talk about the sin in their life and say, do you realize how much this has violated a holy God? Because when kids come to Jesus smiling and laughing, sometimes I struggle to think, do they really understand that without Jesus, they would be worthy to go to hell? We don't say the word hell a lot in church. In fact, we've made it a cuss word, but it's real. Hell's a real place. And every person who's ever lived apart from Jesus deserves to go there because God is holy and perfect. And in his kingdom, you cannot be with him unless you are holy and perfect. And I would not dare stand up and say that I'm perfect, nor do I think anyone who's ever walked the face of the earth except for Jesus is. But because I know I'm not perfect, but God is holy and also loving... God says, I love you so much. I want to forgive you for your sins. You need to confess those to me and follow my son. I confess them. I follow him. And I never forget how bad I need his grace. And if I remember his grace, then I'm going to offer that grace to other people. As as we pray out, I just want to say, if there's someone in your life right now, don't care who it is. Don't care if you're related to them. I don't care if you're married to them. I don't care if you live by them in your neighborhood. If your kids go to school with their kids and you have it in your heart that you, you would put the word H-A-T-E when it comes to the way that you deal with that person. I'm not saying you have to like everything about them. I'm not saying that you have to spend all your time with them. But what I am saying is if you are not willing to love them the way that Jesus does, then you're violating the law of love. And in this time of invitation, if that's something that God's put on your heart, come and confess it silently to the Lord. And finally, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, let me say this, you're not living under the law of love. You're still living under the restrictions of the law that none of us can live under. If you are not a Christian, if you've never given your life to Jesus, when you die, you're going to stand before God and you're going to be judged according to your own life. And if you've made even one mistake, if you've sinned even one time, you'll be declared guilty and you will not be able to live in the kingdom of God. But if you're willing to confess to God that, you, that you're a sinner and that you need to be forgiven and you need to be saved, God says, I am holy, but I am loving. And I loved you so much, I sent my son to live the way the life, the life that you should have lived, die the death that you deserved, and come up from the grave three days later that if you put your faith in him, though you die physically, you will live spiritually forever. That's a great offer. That's an offer that comes under one law. And that's a law of love. Let us pray together. Father, thank you that you sent your son, that there's a law that none of us could keep, and that you never intended for us to keep the law of the Old Testament because none of us possibly could, that it was this mirror, this tutor that led us to Jesus to show us that we needed someone to keep the law for us and that your son did it perfectly. And we thank you now that if we follow Jesus, we live under a new law, a law of love. And Father, it's so hard as sinners to love others the way that you do, Father, but help us, forgive us. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on us as sinners. Forgive us and help us and enable us to love others the way that you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.